What up, world? It's your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. And you are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. It's free. It's five days a week. Every platform you're looking for us, so you're going to find us. So make it your first listen every day and tell your friends to do the same. What a show today. Today's show is not supposed to be a newsy show, and we got a very newsy show, starting with Nazir Little agreeing to a rookie contract extension that will keep him in Portland for another four years beyond this one. A surprising deal, to say the least, that got done on deadline day. The Blazers also fill out their final two-way spot, adding John Butler, a rangy, weird wing, to the back end of their rotation to fill out their, their group heading into night one of the preseason. And then today's show is supposed to be all about predictions, uh, predictions from the national media and also myself. We're going to squeeze that in at the end of the show. We got predictions for you, kind of a uh, look around to what other folks are saying, and then I got five bold ones for you. All right. Let's let's talk Nazir Little though. That this was the news of the day at 8:30 this morning on my on my telephone. Nazir Little agrees to a contract extension. I was going to put this as a footnote in the show. Hey, you know the uh, the rookie deadline passed and Nazir Little didn't agree to a contract extension. And yeah, it makes sense why he didn't. And here's all the reasons why. But he did. He did four years, twenty eight million dollars. Nazir Little agrees to an extension on the final day for team and players entering the final year of their rookie contracts from Nazir Little's draft class to agree to a contract extension. Nas, four years, twenty eight million dollars. And the absolute first thing you're thinking is, where's the rest of the cash? I've been talking about this this summer that I didn't think that uh, Nas would get to uh, would agree to a deal with his with with the Blazers because, uh, quite frankly, I you know I, I thought you know a reasonable contract for the Blazers to offer would be something like in the ten million dollar range, and Azir Little would say you know I can play myself into a little bit more money than that this year. So I was thinking like four for 40 or three for 30 with an option. And then Nas's people would ask for something like four for 48 with an option to make it, to make it a little bit more some, or some incentives in there to, to push it over 50, four for 50, totally reasonable range, you know, start at 60, start at four for 60 and work your way down between 60 and 40 million meet in the middle somewhere. And that would be, you know, why an extension wouldn't get an extension would not get done. But instead on the final day, Nazir Little four for 28. Uh, let's talk about why Nas would do this first. And the very obvious one is that this is security. $28 million is a ton of money. It's a ton of money. But in the world of the NBA where the contracts are gigantic, uh, so gigantic that at some point we're just going to have to stop talking about how much money players make because um, it is unrelated, is becoming unrelatable in a way that... Um, d- it's just, it's out of control, absolutely out of control. Um, but I guess that's the way the, the league and professional sports in general are headed. But like $20 million is a ton of money. $20 million over the next four years is a ton of money. Life-changing, generation-changing money. I do not mean to poo-poo that. In the context of an MBA job, this isn't very much money. This is about the same level as the mini mid-level exception, the taxpayer mid-level exception will be over the next two seasons. This is this is mid-level, this is the small mid-level contract exception basically for Nazir Little over the course of four years. But he gets $28 million. He gets guaranteed money, fully guaranteed over those over those four years. That's job security. That's a contract that is not playing himself into a space where 
um, where he where he might make less than this in the open market. If 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 Nazir Little struggles this year, there's a chance that there is no thirty million dollars. There's no t- um, over the course of four seasons waiting for him. That he's playing for a much smaller deal when he hits free agency. The flip side is that if he has a great year, he is going to be immediately underpaid. And he's going to be underpaid for four consecutive seasons. Uh, and it's a long time to be underpaid. The NBA, you, it's, it is, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor, to quote, um, to quote people smarter than me. Like this is, you just do not have that many chances to cash in as an NBA player. There are, there are, there was a potential for Nazir Little to have a wonderful season and end up with a big payday, which is what I assumed he would do. For a variety of reasons, he hasn't been healthy. Availability has been an issue for him. He had, um, you know, a truncated first year with uh, the COVID cutoff. You know, didn't have summer league, and then, um, and then the COVID cutoff. Or excuse me, had the COVID cutoff. Didn't have, didn't have that. Uh, had a break. Had to come back. Ended up getting, uh, you know not playing in the bubble because of dehydration that he got COVID really badly and um, missed the first part of the season and took him a while to ramp back up. And then last year he's finally getting going and he has a, a shoulder injury. Like he's just had stuff happen to him. He's had stuff happen to him in his first three years, B- strange things, some out of his control, some just unlucky, some just he's had bumps and bruises and nicks and nicks and things like that, but got nicked up along the way is what I'm looking, trying to say there. Like he's, He's had health issues. He's had some unlucky. He's just had some bad luck, sort of the like the the bad luck of of timing of his life, right? Uh, all of those things coming together for him. That lack of ability, availability has been a la- has led to a somewhat of a lack of production when he was playing the best as he had in January of last year. But he had about a month of looking like a really solid NBA player, an NBA starter. Hurts his shoulder. He comes back enters training camp and he struggled in the preseason and he did not win the starting job and he didn't win the starting job not because of politics or anything else other than he was not clearly not the best option clearly not the best option I would say he was the third choice if you're ranking Josh Hart Justice Winslow and then Nas I think that has a factor in him accepting this contract if he was the starter on this team heading into night one I do not think he accepts this contract if you're starting in the NBA why take the money you're gonna have this massive opportunity to to seize on all these things but I think his lack of availability in recent seasons, his lack of production early in this preseason, it led him to this. This is a team-friendly deal. No way to spin it other than that. This is really, really friendly because Nas is very likely to outplay this quickly. Um, If he is a competent starter in the league, he outplays this. If he is a pretty good seventh man, he slightly will outplay this contract. If he is a useful bench player, he outplays his contract. If he is not very good, and he's the ninth, tenth guy on a team, but he plays every night, he's making about the right level of money. Like that's he's basically being paid role player money. If he's a role player, it's fine. Like the chances that he underperforms in this contract are so slim. He can basically only outperform it. But he gets the job security. He gets he gets guaranteed life-changing money he doesn't go into this year as a contract year he doesn't have the pressure and and if he does struggle this year he probably wasn't going to like he he wasn't going to get back to this level uh one thing i when i was saying i was prepping to like talk about how Nas, as a footnote didn't sign a contract 
Brandon Clark on Sunday evening signed a four-year $52 million extension. That's Brandon Clark, former uh, Gonzaga great, who is a Memphis Grizzlies, you know, a, a player who was really good as a rookie, struggled as a sophomore, had a, had a really nice end to his third season in the league. Uh, he, you know, he's he was a very good role player on a team that, you know, made the Western Conference Finals, a very, very good basketball team. When he made four for 52, I said, there's no way Nas signs a contract because he's going to make way less money than Brandon Clark. Like he's, he just, he's just way, he's just been way less productive, way less to point to in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, what he's done in the league than Clark like that. Okay. That's 25% or so more money than Nas is going to make. Like that's, that's, we've started to like see kind of what, what is a backup forward going to get in this, in this climate way under that money. And even then, twenty-eight million is significantly less than I thought that that, that Nas would sign for. I thought Nas, I thought the low end of what Nas would agree to is four for forty. Would I have done this if I'm Nazir Little? No way to know. Would I have advised him to do this if I was his people? No, I probably wouldn't have, uh, because I think he can outperform this contract like immediately, um, and I would take the risk. I totally understand why he didn't. Why I'm saying the difference in I'm his people and I'm him his agents are trying to make money, right? Like I, the, that, that view, I, I, I totally understand. And from that perspective, I can see why you'd say, yeah, this is, you know, we're going to do it this way. But for him, the job security, the knowing you're get you're going to get your money, the know that you can, you know, if you, as long as you don't get traded, that's out of your control, but like, you're going to be in the place, you're going to be in one spot for a little while and a chance to put down roots and a chance to have that security and that comfort and all of those things. I'm happy for Nas. Like I'm happy for him. When a dude signs a contract, you should be happy. The they're like there is part of me that's like go get more cash. But like you got to be happy for folks. You got to be like I didn't really love the Trent Watford deal at the time last year for Trent Watford, but there's no reason not to celebrate someone getting an NBA contract. A second NBA contract or a real NBA contract is hard to come by. Absolutely a cause for celebration. This is a really good deal for the Portland Trailblazers organization. Nazir Little is very likely to be better than the money you're paying him. And when you're building a basketball team, the best way to get good is to underpay good players. And Nas, who probably has not performed at a level that would be commensurate of a larger contract, when you're negotiating contracts, you're paying for potential. The Blazers are if Nas hits something close to what his potential will be, he zooms past the value of this contract and he becomes a massive bargain for this team, a massive bargain for him. I'm happy for Nas. It's good for the Blazers sort of team building flexibility. It's an incredible deal for them probably. Um, so I think this is a rare case where both sides got what they wanted and, and, and can say that they feel good about it for sure. Good news for Nas. Good news for Joe Cronin's trailblazers. And we keep him moving. Nazir Little does not enter free agency this summer because he's already got himself a deal. Congrats to Nas. And, you know, I congrats to Joe Cronin. Is that who, is that who we congratulate for this? Good job, Joe. Way to negotiate a, a, a team-friendly contract. Let's talk about the other player the Blazers signed this uh, today. They signed on Monday. You're listening to Tuesday, October 18th show. On Monday, they agreed to a two-way contract with seven-foot wing John Butler from Florida State. A seven-foot wing. Yeah, an interesting player to be sure. Let's learn a little about the new Blazers two-way guy in the second segment. But first, I want to tell you about LinkedIn jobs. These days, every new position 
can feel like it's so tough to hire. It's just a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you got the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Here's what you do. You sign up for LinkedIn Jobs and use their simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So Nazir Little is staying, but the Blazers also added another player to the roster on Monday evening filling what was, at the time, the final open two-way spot in the league with big man, tall person, John Butler, a surprising one-and-done product, a one-and-done player from U, from uh, FSU, from Florida State University. He turns, he'll turn 20 in December, spent one season at Florida State, and then uh, was it a Pelican in Summer League, signed with the Pelicans to... to uh, Eventually a two-way contract, but first joined their their uh, their summer league team where he lit it up, including an eight for eight uh, night in summer league where he hit six of six three pointers. Uh, then the Pelicans briefly signed him to a two-way deal and and then waived him. The idea was that he was going to join join the Birmingham squadron, join their G League team, and be part of the G League there and there with the Pels organization. But instead, he got himself a two-way spot, and the Blazers swooped him up. So who is John Butler other than a guy who was, you know, a relatively productive player on a, uh, on a, in a down year on, for FSU, FSU has churned out pros. They really, really have. It's a program that has churned out professional players, uh, but they were not very good last year. And then, then they had a ton of injuries. In fact, um, I'm a Carolina guy. I watched them play FSU once and Carolina was up by 38 at halftime. So I, I do not recall Butler being, a standout because it was a it was like 62 24 at the break like uh fsu had a bunch of injuries that day so it's like my one day of what would have been scouting florida state was ruined because they got rolled in chapel hill so i don't i have watched john butler once do not recall it so I actually turned to a friend of mine who is uh the biggest pelicans fan i know and i said yo who's john butler uh they gave me the rundown on on exactly who john butler is and and the key here is that he's seven foot one. And you might think, heck yeah, a big man. The Blazers desperately need a big man. They just need size up front. Their front court is so thin. He's 175 pounds at seven one. Like he's point guard weight. He's 40 pounds away from being a viable forward in the league. He's really skinny. He is a seven one wing, you know, shot 39% from three in college. Like I said, lit it up in summer league shot, like, shot above 60%. He made six of six threes one time in one game in summer league. That's going to change your, uh, change your, your per game averages, but like a, an absolute shooter, uh, much more of a, according to Sam Vecini's draft guide that I read prior to this, much more of a, uh, of a sort of rangy perimeter defender than he is a uh, an interior defender. He's just so skinny. He's going to he got pushed around in college. He's going to get pushed around in the pros. He's not like he's probably a th- 
like a three and D wing at seven one, not like a future center at his size. Even if you just see him in the box score, it's like, oh, this is a seven footer. Good. They got another big. I think it's best to view him as a wing. I like weird basketball players. I'm excited about John Butler. If you're seven one, you've got a nine foot nine foot four standing reach, a seven three wingspan. You know, seven one hundred eighty pounds, seven one hundred seventy five pounds. That's that's skinny. That is skinny. And I think when we when we see him in person, it'll be strike us even how skinny he is. But someone who profiles as you know someone who can he shot 44% in on half court three pointers according to synergy that's from Sam Vecini's draft guide on the athletic 44% on half court three pointers in college is a dude who can shoot it because half court offenses are clunky in college to be certain um that type of shooting ability that type of frame with the ability to be a perimeter defender with crazy length yeah yeah i'm into it at like two way spots should absolutely be on guys with upside. Um, like the Blazers are in a specific, like a strange spot because they just have so little front court depth the way the team is constructed that it would almost make more sense just to sign like the Killian Tillies of the world, uh, like a 24 year old with NBA experience who like probably could play some minutes at center when you need him to and definitely could play some minutes at power forward when you need him to. Like that, that, like for the Blazers like specific needs right now on this roster that you could make a pretty uh, compelling case for doing something of that to, to that effect. But I think two way contracts should be used on guys with upside. They should be used on dart throws and a 19 year old with this type of physical gifts that you can just take a risk on, put them in your, you know, it put them in, in your system. See if you can develop them and get them further along. Like this is the type of, this is a risk I am extremely in favor of. John Butler is probably not capable of being a contributor this year, but the idea of a two way contract is to have a very low risk developmental player that if he turns into something useful, Useful, a la Trenton Watford, you convert it to an NBA contract, you keep him part of the system, and you keep him moving. This is like, this is exactly the type, the sort of the flavor of, of uh, prospects I'm in favor of signing with a two-way deal. Now, the other, Blaze's other two-way deal is, is Olivier Saar, who's like the team's current backup center if he was healthy. Um, like I said, like their roster construction is a little, is wonky enough that they could use like actual reinforcements immediately. But just like theoretically, a seven-one wing, like a seven-one small forward. My uh, my friend who's, who who gave me the the scouting report on John Roberts said like seven a seven-one small forward, and I just like wait what? Explain that one to me again, and got like the full scout. Like yeah, a, a, a skinny seven-one wing who can really shoot it. Sure, the future of basketball is weird and long. Uh, that's that that is like the prototypical NBA dude who's everyone is chasing is like giant people who can stretch the floor and handle like guards and do all these things. This is the Chet Holmgrims and the Victor Wimbanyamas, and obviously, um, Roberts is like several standard deviations away from those two gentlemen. But the idea of these weirdo type of futuristic prospects, sign me up. I'm all in. Welcome to the squad, John Roberts. Can't wait to uh, you know. See, he's getting jumpers up prior to a game and be like, whoa, that dude is is skinny and tall. That's the Blazers' two-way spot. They were the last team in the league to fill their two-way spot. They waived a couple guards, um, you know, including Isaiah Miller, who I was uh, pretty convinced was going to get that second two-way spot. If I had to choose between a 24-year-old six-foot guard who looks like he can defend at the NBA level and a 19-year-old 7-1 wing who might turn into something really weird that we've never seen before, 
give me the riskier one. Give me the riskier profile absolutely every single time. All right, in the second, or in the third segment, rather, close the show. Prediction time. I got some national predictions from folks, national media types, and then I'll share some bold predictions of my own about what I think is going to happen with this Blazers season. Season, excuse me. Join me in that third segment, won't you? Still a pass first point guard. I'm still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Today's show is supposed to be prediction show. It's just going to be a season prediction show. Blazers hooked us up with like interesting news. Congrats to Nazir Little. Congrats to John Roberts. Welcome to the uh, future of the franchise, gentlemen. But now let's do a little bit of predictions. We're going to squeeze this one into eight minutes. So it's going to be 30 minutes of the show, 25 minutes of the show. Uh, the entire show if things had gone a little bit differently, but they didn't. So here's... I, I just kind of looked around at the sort of what these large national voices had to say about the Blazers. And I want to share that with you. And then I'll share some of my own predictions. Zach Lowe did like an NBA tiers thing maybe 10 days back. And he had the Blazers in a tier that he called grasping at play and home court advantage, uh, where the Blazers were in there with the Chicago Bulls, New York Knicks, and the Sacramento Kings. This is like a, you know, teams that are probably not going to finish in that seven, eight range, but are just on the cusp of pushing to seven or eight range. And, and Zach Lowe writes that the Blazers have 45 wins upside uh yeah i think that's about right i think like a the best case scenario for the blazer season is something like 45 wins i think that's they're right there like they're just they just don't have enough depth for me to pick much further than that and quite frankly i'm not going to pick them to win 45 games you'll hear that in a moment but like yeah i i think that's about right from low uh kevin pelton's uh statistical simulations statistical projections that he runs on espn has the blazers at 10th in the west with an average of 36.6 wins according to pelton's projections the thing that's holding the blazers back is that his numbers and he does like a thousand simulations and then does an average of those of, you know, what each team does in those a thousand simulations on the Blazers are consistently a bottom defense, bottom, bottom three, the 29th defense consistently in, in, in through the a thousand simulations. There's, they just look like a really bad defensive team with their current personnel. I'm not sure how much they can really fix that in the year. Obviously, they can finish better than 29th, but like, what is their defensive upside? I think that's what's holding them back. And and Pelton has them. Pelton's simulation. Pelton's like statistical projections. I don't want to put it on KP. He he didn't do that. He built a model that suggests that the Blazers are 36 36 wins, 10th in the West, just behind the Sacramento Kings. John Hollinger over at the over at the Athletic did a preview for every team in the league, and he has the Blazers finishing with 36 wins and finishing 11th in the West at 5:38. Their model has the Blazers finishing at 38 and 44, 10th in the West. Very interestingly, behind the Utah Jazz, who as they are constructed today, have too many good players for what the Utah Jazz want to do. Too many useful vets, Conley and and Clarkson and Lowry Markinen, and it's like gotta get rid of some of these dudes. Got to get rid of them because Utah wants to be bad. And right now they might be a little too good. I'm not sure they're as good as 538's model is. Famously, 538's model hated the Warriors last season and hated them into the playoffs. Um, so, you know, grain, grain, oh, salt. Uh, over at Good Morning, It's Basketball, my favorite uh, NBA newsletter from Tom Ziller. He has the Blazers finishing 11th just outside of that play-in range. The Associated Press's Tim Reynolds projected the Blazers to finish 11th. And over at Bleach Report, Andy Bailey had the Blazers finishing 8th with 38 wins. That means that we went through seven predictions from national media types, and nobody has the Blazers winning more than half their games. 
woof. I just think that's the perception of this team right now. Like, I don't even have any hot takes about that. Like, I don't even think that's that that's that far off from what we've seen, quite frankly. Like, I don't think anyone's like way off the mark. I think it's totally reasonable to think that this team could be, uh, you know, uh, competitive and, and like in the 40, 40 plus win range. No problem. Like, I don't, I don't think you're, if you think this team's going to win 43 games, I don't think you're stupid. I'm like, I think, sure, maybe a little optimistic based on what we've seen in preseason, but you can be betting on their talent to figure it out and win 43 games and some injury luck here and there and blah, 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 blah. Sure. Sure. But I don't think the perception outside of Portland, outside of this market, um, you know, off this podcast is that the Blazers are good. I think just like the national perception is this is a bad team. And particularly folks seem to be consistently worried about their defense, um, which all fair, all fair stuff we've talked about here on this podcast. But I want to bring my own predictions to the show. So I got a couple bold predictions I am going to share with you. You, I got five of them. Let's start with the first one. First bold prediction from your boy, Mike G. Rich says, the Blazers are going to finish outside of the top 10 in offense. Over the last few years, in 2018-19, the Blazers were third. In 2019-20, the Blazers were third. In 2020-2021, the Blazers were second in offense. Three consecutive years as a top five offense. And then last year, their first year under Chauncey Billups, even before Dame got hurt, or he was hurt the whole year, but even before Dame shut it down, so December 31st, if you're just talking about the games that happened in 2021, from October to December, the Blazers were below average defense. They were 16th. Dame shot 32.4% from three, under 33% from three. He's going to be better than that this year. I'm very comfortable predicting that. They're just going to be better on offense this year. I'm not like compared to what they were last season. But I, my bold prediction is that they finish outside of the top 10 on offense for the year because from what I've seen so far in preseason, they look a little bit clunky. Preseason doesn't, is not the only thing informing me. I just think overall, and shout out to uh, listener Scott, who has been hammering this home, sending me this note several times. I think the Blazers lack a little bit of shooting, not from Dame and Ant, who are really good shooters, but like the rest of the roster, they don't have a ton of lineups where they have elite shooting Certainly not at, they have no lineup where they have good shooting at every spot just because how much Nurk is going to play. But if you're going to play Nazir Little and you're going to play Justice Winslow, you're going to play Josh Hart, who's not a gunner, like you're putting on, you you do have some lineups where you have a minus shooting at, at a couple different spots, at least the way it looks right now. And I think that matters. And that is baked into my prediction that the Blazers finish outside the top 10 in offense. Next prediction is that the Blazers will finish top five in steals this year. They're going to finish top five in the NBA in steals per game this year. Season ago, they ranked eighth. I think they have better defensive personnel. If Gary Payton is uh, the second is healthy and, and gets rolling and plays a bunch of games, plays 65 games for this team, uh, one of the best steal artists in the league, one of the best, uh, one of the, had one of the highest steal percentage rates in the league, would have led the league in, in steal percentage if he had played another 200 minutes. Literally one of the best, one of the best thieves we have in the business. I think the Blazers, who ranked eighth last year in steals per game with worst defensive personnel, uh, under Chauncey Billups' scheme defensively with the upgraded personnel, this is a top five team in the league in steals this year. They're going to force turnovers for the first time in a long time. Under Terry Stotts' guidance, the Blazers did not force turnovers. Some of that was personnel. A lot of that was Terry Stotts' defensive schemes that was in, did not attempt to force turnovers. They just wanted to attempt jumpers and get rebounds. They got rebounds pretty well. They also were pretty awful on defense consistently. Um, the Blazers are, you know, maybe haven't shown much acumen to be better on defense, but they have shown acumen to force turnovers more regularly. They're going to finish top five in steals this year. My next prediction is that Shaden Sharp becomes the rookie that plays the most games 
in his first season since Damian Lillard played all 82 in the 2012-2013 season. Uh, Zach Collins played 66 games his rookie year after he was the 10th overall pick. No rookie has, has that's it, in the Dame era. No rookie has, has approached that number of games. Uh, again, shout out to Terry Stotts, did not, did not care for playing the youngsters. Also, uh, three of those drafts in there, they just straight up didn't have a first-round pick. Second-round picks are just not going to play that much. That's the nature of the beast. Shane Sharp's going to play at least 67 games. It'll make at least 67 appearances. He is going to play more games than Dame did. The most games, most appearances by a rookie in the last decade for the Blazers. Book it. That's a bold prediction. My final, or my second to last, my penultimate bold prediction. Three players that play on opening nights will be traded before the NBA trade deadline. Three players in the lineup on opening night will not be there once we get to March. That is a bold prediction. Kind of an obvious one. The Blazers are just, the team is unfinished. Or it's like, it's, you know, it's a work in progress. They have massive needs to upgrade the front court. They just have massive needs to upgrade the front court. They are in a position where where uh, Josh Hart is either going to, you know, they're either going to have to pay Josh Hart and keep him as part of the plan and free agency, uh, you know, and lock into a long-term deal with him, let him walk for nothing or trade him at the deadline to upgrade. He's good. He can help teams. He will have value on the trade market. Josh Hart seems like a lock to get traded, basically. Kind of a bummer to for Josh, but I, I'm sure he knows that he's a smart person. Uh, like, But I think he's a lock to get traded, and I think two other of his cohorts, some way, somehow, will be traded. Uh, a small side note that I didn't mention in the first segment. I do worry. Zier Little's contract makes him very very, very tradable. He's good and cheap and young, and he's makes more than the minimum and like right in that mid-level range. Those are tradable contracts, aggregatable, tradable, whatever you want to call it. I'm not predicting Nazir Little gets traded, but like that's the kind of money that gets traded. Justice Winslow makes about that kind of money in the $6 million a year range. Someone's three guys that play an opening night will get traded. And my final prediction on the heels of all these predictions from the, from uh, the prognosticators and national media is the Blazers win more than half their games. I'm calling it now. The Blazers finished this season 42 and 40. They win half their games. I still have them pegged to finish 10th in the West, but 42 and 40 might be better than that. That might be up in eighth. So we'll see how it, we'll see how it shakes out, but the Blazers win half their games. Those are my five bold predictions for the season. Congrats to Nazir Little. Congrats to John Butler and congrats. That's to you. You made it to the regular season. You really, really did it. The next time that you hear this voice, it will be because it's game day. Game day. The Blazers open their season on Wednesday in Sacramento against the Sacramento Kings. And Wednesday's show will be a preview of that game with Locked on Kings host Matt George. Come back and listen to that one. Get prepped for the season. And then it's here. We made it. You made it. I appreciate you for for rocking with me all off season. To quote Adam Mares, it is now the on season. We made it. It's the on season. We are here. Uh, we're going to keep rolling along. We're going to have, you know, game recaps. We're going to have shows five days a week. It's a daily trailblazers podcast faux free on all platforms. Go get it and tell your friends to do the same. Uh, however you're listening to this, make sure you're subscribed and then like, do me a favor for real. Do this, do this. If you made it this far on the show, tell one friend today about the show. That's how podcasts grow is word of mouth. Um, you know, retweets and Instagram shares are, are kind, but like the way people actually 
find new podcasts is their friend who they implicitly trust says, yo, I like Locked On Blazers. You will too. So go find a friend. If you're listening to this, if you made it this deep in the episode, go find a friend and say, yo, I like Locked On Blazers and you will too. Appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.